one of my big things is I like to surround myself with people who are much better than me at everything because it, you know, it, it makes everything easy. Like one of the things I've learned is not micromanaging on a set in that this was something I had to learn because it was an instinct that I, that I always had was trying to control everything. But, you know, if I hire a great DP, let them do their thing. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in TV, film, commercials, and off-Broadway. And every week, I bring you an incredible mentor in entertainment, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. All right, I'm so excited to introduce you to this guest, Ben Giroux. Ben is the first actor I'm interviewing for the podcast, which is weird. I didn't do that on purpose, guys. I brought in all these amazing guests in the first season, and none of them were actors. So when I thought of the person to be the first actor on the podcast, I thought of Ben. I was introduced to him a few years ago from a friend, and he just had done, you know, amazing television shows, House, NCIS, Psych, Inger Management. And he was a working actor, which is kind of hard to come by, unfortunately. And I was equally impressed with not only his resume, but how much content he was creating. So we talk a lot about his consistently like just putting out content in the world and how he's still doing that. And what has, you know, that's led to three and a half million followers on TikTok. It's led to, you know, music videos of his that he put together going viral, singing Backstreet Boys in Vegas. He is so incredible. He's now directing, he's pitching TV shows, he's voicing incredible animation characters, and he is still creating his own work. He has so much to teach. He has a great journey to share. Without further ado, Ben Jiro. Hi, Ben. Thanks for Hi. being on the podcast. How are you? I, you know, as we discussed we earlier, said. I don't know how to answer that question anymore, but yeah. all things considered, healthy creative. So I guess I have to answer good. Yes. I, I like asking, how are you? Because I actually care. Like, I want to know what you're going to say. And although I already asked you earlier when we first got on, I just kind of feel like that's, you know, it's a way to start. It's to be like, how are you doing in this moment on this day? And it could change tomorrow, obviously. But, you know, it's funny, my right writing now. partner and I, we've been pitching like crazy over Zoom during the pandemic. Yeah. And that is how all of our pitches now start before we even get into talking to TV executives about any kind of creative idea. It's, yeah. Hey, how, how are you? Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's bizarre to start a conversation be like, wait, you're going through that right now. Like that's what's going on in your life. Like that makes all this a little bit less precious. Exactly. You know? So the first question I always like to ask my guests is what was your first role in entertainment? What was your first thing? Ooh, good question. So I was in uh, theater school at USC and I had stumbled my way into representation a couple years prior, I think in my sophomore year of college, having done a play at the Amundsen Theater in downtown LA. So I'd had an agent and I was sort of like, here and there, skipping classes and, you know, doing voiceover auditions, auditioning for, you know, little indie shorts, stuff like that. And I got an opportunity to audition for a Fairley Brothers pilot on Fox. Fairley Brothers did something about Mary and Dumb and Dumber. And this was, let's see, 2007. So I auditioned for this thing. It was like my, my first, you know, big TV pilot audition it was a co-star that they later wanted to, to build out into a recurring role. And I went in, I remember I went in and I auditioned for it on the Fox lot and I was terrified. I was so in my head. I showed up like three hours early. I was, you know, that young green actor of like, oh God, I want this so bad. Forgot all about it. Didn't think it went all particularly all that well. Started rehearsing a play, my final musical at USC, you know, and that was sort of the, the big focus of my last semester of college. And a week before we opened my musical at USC, a month before graduating college, I finally booked this Fairley Brothers pilot. It's called Unhitched. And it was shooting in Boston on opening weekend of my school musical right. with a school theater program that did not do understudies. So I, it was such a crazy 
first project sort of getting kicked into the industry in a very interesting way where I had to really disappoint a lot of people in my theater program to, you know, ultimately make a, a big choice. Do I stay in my sort of school theater program a month before graduating and being kicked into the industry? Or do I go, you know, take this TV pilot opportunity? To me, a month away from graduating, the, the answer was obvious. And so yeah. flew to Boston, shot on location at the Boston Garden during a live Celtics game. The whole bit was I was on a date with Rashida Jones from The Office. I and I looks like we just have courtside seats at this basketball game at a, at a Celtics game. And I rip off my suit and I'm actually lucky the leprechaun, the mascot of the Boston Celtics. So it was such a cool experience. I'm a huge basketball fan. It's on your reel. <laughs> Got to chest bump Paul Pierce in the episode. So it was just a really fun, cool way to kind of start my television career a month away from graduating college. And then I lucked out in that the Fairley Brothers then, or one of their writers recommended me to the show Psych, which I filmed maybe, it was like my first big guest star. I probably filmed that maybe three or four months later wow. uh, after that experience. So I was quite lucky in that I, I was able to really transition right after college, even though it did overlap into a television career. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I mean, it's kind of, is it rare? I mean, you would know better because in New York, I think maybe it's different, but for co-stars, I feel like they normally would want to get that locally. Right. So it's kind of awesome that they. Well, I think I was introduced at a young age to the idea of a guest star being called a co-star, which is, I have become no stranger to in my career. I think you know, I know you said you have a lot of young actors that are just starting listening to this podcast. And I think something that you will find is when you don't have a ton of leverage and you are hungry for footage, you will in many ways be willing to do large co-star roles that they really should be paying you as a guest star. Yes. So I was no stranger to that in the early days of my career of being like, hey, okay. Like I recur two seasons of a CW show. Heart of Dixie. Uh, yeah, Heart of Dixie. So good. I mean, I was, I was a big fan of that show for at least a few of the seasons. I think in the last season I trailed off, but... And I, lo I love that great show. show. It was a great group of people. It was such a fun experience. The whole thing shot on the Warner Brothers lot. But for two seasons, I was a recurring co-star. I mean, I, I had literally episode Weird. arcs on the show. But, you know, when you're hungry for a job... Yeah. And, you know, the, the group of people are awesome they were clearly limited by their budget and they wanted a big world of characters on the show, then, then I think you're willing to do it. So when does uh, that change? Like, when do you talk to your representation or they talk to you and say, hey, listen, I think we should stop turning down or we should start turning down certain roles? Yeah, I think, you know, at a certain point for every actor, it's different. But at a certain point, you look at your resume and you look at your reel and you say, hey, another co-star role is not going to move the needle anyway. And that's not saying like, hey, actors want to act. If there's a role that comes by that's super tiny, yeah. but is a blast and I think is really funny, well, you know, let's do it. Like, that's, yeah. you know, that's awesome. Or they I say think. sometimes like right before the show, if the show's being canceled, it's the last season of something. Sure. Or like, if you're getting a co-star, just, you know. Yeah. And, and certainly those are conversations I've had with my representatives over the years. If it's yeah. the early days of a popular show and it's like, hey, here's a tiny role on this thing. Maybe we wait and see if, you know, the casting director likes you. Maybe we wait. Let's see if a larger thing comes along. And that has happened in my career before, too. But look, at the end of the day, actors want to act. Put your ego aside. Just do the job. I mean, yeah. it, you know, I think people outside of the industry are like, well, what kind of roles are you attracted to? And what do you choose? It's like, I'm attracted to the I one know. I book. I, it's bizarre. <laughs> I love It's so true. I'm attracted to the job that wants me. I'm attracted to the work that I get to do when I'm mm -hmm. on set. It's... Yeah so funny are you more interested like what kind of what kind of role do you want what kind are you more into this and i'm like yeah sure i'll take that yeah 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 i mean you know my career has been exclusively comedy so i feel like your house clip was definitely a bit dramatic yeah i think it's funny i've done a ton of those like hour-long sort of procedural kind of shows but i'm always the comedy relief in those shows yeah. you know i've done bones and i've done house i've done NCIS. I've so many of those kinds of shows that I've guest starred on. I'm always the 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 laugh of the episode, which is exactly what I want to be playing. So yeah. when did you realize that? Because I think there's something to be said, you know, especially in rewatching your clips, which I've watched before, but in rewatching <laughs> oh, them, I remember just thinking like you bring something to these characters, right? Like you think about just what those 
besides what those scenes would have been on paper for an audition. And you bring more to it. You know, you bring some, you know, an energy, which we're all really supposed to try to bring. Like, what could we bring individually to the role? But you bring something very specific, relatively comedic to the role when it might not have asked for it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a way to do whatever it was there. And even in like, I mean, anger management's more of a comedy, but I was looking at, (laughs) I was thinking about your scene with anger management and there were certain things you did that were very you, right? That like, and and how did you look at that particular scene and go like, ooh, yeah, I want to try that. Or like, is it just in the moment? That shows in particular is a funny story in that Charlie, who, Charlie Sheen, who at the time was, you know, sort of going through a lot of stuff, was, was six, seven hours late to set that day. And I was actually, my scene in that, you said you saw it, is I'm yelling at him. So that, there's a lot of real authentic anger there. The funny thing is, and I think I can say this, I years later had a, a lit project where we were talking to Charlie about it. Can you tell people him. what a lit project is? Oh, yes. Yeah. My, my writing partner and I develop television shows and we pitch them. We try to sell television shows. So Amazing. one of our projects, we had subsequently chatted with Charlie about potentially being involved in. He remembered that day. So I have nothing but I, I just wanted to make it clear. I have nothing but positive things to say about, about Charlie. Yeah. But that day I was sort of fueling some authentic anger. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in regards to your, your overall question, I think when I look at a script or a particular role, first I try to like mess it up a little bit. Like I'm not too precious with the lines. Sometimes that really pisses a writer off and you get to know like what shows you can get away with that on and what shows you can't. You know, I do, I do a lot of kids multicam, which some of it does encourage a lot of improv, but you got a, at least a couple takes. You get every yeah, single but- word and every single comma right. But by and large, I will try to sort of rough it up a little bit, mess it up, mess up the dialogue a little bit so it feels a little more organic. And then, you know, quite honestly, I would say we all as actors have to recognize the archetypes of roles that we are continually cast as and kind of embrace the traits that work for us in in other projects. So for me, I'm always playing the little asshole. And sorry if I can't. I don't you know can curse. Yeah, 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 you're fine. I'm always just this just this little jerk or a total wimp. Those are the two sort of like overarching archetypes. Not saying I haven't played stuff outside of that, but you know, you sort of go to to what works, and then you try to find you know specific details within those those archetypes that that are effective. But I think for every specific thing, it's not only what are they looking for? And certainly once I started directing and producing, I was able to kind of put that hat on as I look at a role right. and say, yeah. okay, well, why would I cast me? Many yeah. times I'll go into an audition and say, well, I, if I were casting this, I would not cast me. So I'm going to go just win the room. I'm going to go yeah. win their opinion of me so that when they do have something that's a little more tailored to me, I'll, I'll get it. Yeah. So I, you know, I think it, it all depends on the specific project, but I try to I try to do, what's the right way to put this? I try to approach it in a way that I don't think anyone else will to make it completely specific to me Hmm. because there's a reason they want you. You know, so if I'm in an, you know, this is pre-pandemic obviously, but I'm in an audition lobby and I hear everybody screaming the lines to something that is obviously, you know, yelled. Maybe I'll go in and whisper the whole thing, you know? And maybe that's a wild choice and they don't want anything you know, they, they don't want that approach, but they're going to remember it. And then they're going to give you feedback to change it. So I like trying to do stuff that maybe nobody else has done with the copy. I like that. Yeah. Are there any things, anything that like are Benisms, like things that you're like, (laughs) this is something I do. And I think that I want to do it now. Are there moments when you're looking at a scene, you're like, I want to do this. Like, I want to put this flavor in there. I want to or does it just kind of come think, as it goes? Uh, comedically, especially now as a as a writer, you're able to look at a script and go like, okay, where are the punchlines? You know, I auditioned for so much multicam. Yeah. So, you know, there's literally laugh per minute with, with multicam pages. And so I'll look at a script and I'll say, okay, well, this is clearly a punchline that they've written. You know, you can target where the laughs are supposed to be, where they're going to actually input crowd laughter. And so for me, it's recognizing the turn. Uh, what I mean by that is I have a lot of stuff that I've done over the years where there's an abrupt turn for a laugh. So, you know, it could be as simple as, oh, 
and quickly yeah. turning your emotion, quickly turning uh, your approach to something. I think that that is something that has become a staple of a lot of the roles that I've done over the years. Nice. So cool. Let's start back. Let's go back. So, you know, you got psych. And so you're starting to get those credits right over time. You know, like you're going for auditions, some things you're not getting, some things you are. Simultaneously, though, you're creating your own work. So can you can yes. you walk me through how that started? Yeah. So I think the biggest advice I would give to anybody that's sort of just starting out listening to your podcast is, and this has never been more apparent than in the middle of a global pandemic, diversify your entertainment pursuits. Mm -hmm. So when I started, I was just looking at myself as I'm a TV actor. That's all I am. And I was sort of beholden to the opportunities that would come my way. Sure, I could sort of drum up some opportunities here and there by networking, building relationships, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, you're sort of beholden to when your agent is going to call you and say, hey, I got you. I got you an appointment. So it became very clear early on to me that I needed to find a way to be a little bit more proactive about my, my own pursuits and find a way to be proactive in a lot of different categories of entertainment. I think early on, I thought, well, if I'm an actor, I can't be anything else. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. You can be so many different things while being an actor. So one of the things that I started to do in the very early days of YouTube was go to big brands and say, hey, I, I'm an actor. I'm trying to like build up you know, an audience for my comedy. Can I take over your YouTube channel and make you content for free? And all I ask in return is that I can sort of like you know, bring some of your audience over to my YouTube page. So I did that for FML and Failblog and I can has cheeseburger back in the day, all these like, you know, in 2008, all of these big YouTube brands. And that got me, you know, familiar with, you know, sort of just getting my hands dirty and making content for pennies, you know, running around with three guys and a couple of lights and a 5D camera back in the day. And incrementally, I found that, oh, gosh, what if on this next shoot, we added uh, a makeup person? Or, hey, what if I got my DP a gaffer next time around? And, you know, fast forward to, you know, a couple of years ago, we were doing my Back to the 80s music video. I do comedy, hip hop music videos on my YouTube channel. Which we'll we had... 200, 250 people on set, jib, six cameras, confetti cannons. And I was cool to kind of look around on set that day and be like, holy cow, like, you know, incrementally, like anything, you just get bigger and better at what you're doing. And so certainly forming a production company and making my own content got me an ability to build an audience online, which allowed me to sort of circumvent the, you know, just sort of the waiting the around BS for someone to give waiting you a around. role. Exactly. Go make your opportunity. And so that that's really something that, that I took to heart. The example I would give you is I did a, a music video called Little Dude Anthem back in 2015. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to make like a, like a Busta Rhymes style music video about being a short guy just because I wanted to. Yeah. And uh, put a bunch of money into it, you know, got a bunch of American Idol singers. And so you think you can dance dancers. I mean, really put a lot of resources into it. You know, it went pretty well. A lot of people saw it online and we had this big sort of premiere party for it as we sort of started to do for all of our projects, these kind of red carpet premieres we would do. And I had a bunch of people come up to me that night saying, man, this is so cool. What a cool project. But why did you do this? Mm. And I thought about that for a second. And I thought, because I wanted to, it was as simple as that. And that was a major shift in my career where I realized for so long, I was operating under this idea of should. Mm. I should go to this casting workshop or I should have this coffee with this person to network. I should audition for this thing. Fuck that. Like, do what you want. And that really started to ratchet my career up to new levels because it allowed me to really just sort of approach things with a new level of joy to not do things I didn't want to do mm -hmm. and to diversify. That's really what, what caused me to do it to not just be an actor, to get a writing partner, to start developing shows, to get a lit manager, to create online content, to form a production company, to be a commercial director. I've done all of those things. And now in the pandemic, when so many of those things are not available to me, I've been able to adapt because I had so many irons in the fire hmm, that, so many that hats. now you know, voiceover and, and lit has really taken over from the safety of home until it's safe to do those other things again. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I remember you said back in the day when we had a conversation about it, 
I remember you said that at one point you started going, you started calling people on your call sheets from like <laughs> shows that you booked and you called people like a DP or so-and-so and be like, hey, uh, I'm shooting this project for one day. Can you walk me through that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a fine line we have to walk between networking and hustling and also adding value to a connection you make rather than asking for value. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm sure you have this in your life too. A lot of people reach out wanting things. Well, what if it's sort of split? What what can I, you know, what can I provide too? So yeah. it's, it feels like Absolutely. a you know, a, a genuine exchange. And so, you know, I'll use this as an example. A symbiotic. Um, 100%. Right. Yeah. So here's a good example. On that very music video I was just talking about, I wanted to get a color corrector. I wanted the footage to look as great as possible. I only knew a couple of guys that kind of dabbled in it, but I wanted the best of the best. So I went on the website for pretty much the biggest color correction company on the planet. They do all the hugest movies. And I literally looked up their roster of colorists and I saw one guy, you know, it's seasoned, you know, well-traveled gentlemen and ladies that are on this roster. But there was this one guy that sort of stood out to me and he looked around my same age. So I Googled around, found his contact information. I sent him an impassioned email and I was like, hey man, look, I know you make tens of thousands of dollars doing this for your profession, but you know, this is this passion project. I did it with my friends. We think it's super funny. We have no money. I could pay you like 500 bucks. Would you consider working with me? And, and I did it just, you know, it wasn't like a, oh God, I'm so distraught right. if you don't say yes. It was just like, hey, like, it would be really cool to build a working relationship with you. He got back to me. He was down. He did it. And I have brought him now countless, you know, big time commercials and Facebook watch series and stuff that he has been paid well on. And so it was just the start of a really cool relationship. And all it took was me just sort of, you know, reaching out in a very authentic way. You know, a lot of people that do my music videos work for very cheap because they know I'm going to hire them on other stuff and try to get them as much money as possible. And look, when you're in the independent production world, a lot of times the budgets aren't good regardless. But particularly as a producer and a director on set, if I am you know, towards the top of the call sheet, it is my duty to create an environment that is super positive, really funny, filled with laughter, even if it's high pressure, to make the sets that I am responsible for so fun that people can't you know, even if they're not being paid really well, they can't uh, yeah. say no to it. So they want really to be involved. Yeah, I really try to take care of the people that have helped me and vice versa. They take care of me. And so it's, it's building that collaborative spirit. And we talked prior to this podcast starting. I think that's the thing I'm missing the most during the pandemic is that spirit of collaboration that, yeah. that we all got into this industry for. So, Absolutely. but yeah, that's how, you know, I've certainly gone down call sheets before and have contacted people. Um, and just said, Hey, this is what I'm about. These are the projects I like to make. I'd love to work with you. And I think, didn't you say like one guy, I think it was, I think he was either a cinematographer or something. He was just like, he said, if you get the right equipment, I'll do it for free or something. Oh, I've or had like, so many, yeah. so, so many people over the years have been so unbelievably generous, but yeah, it's also like, I was always the kind of person and, you know, TikTok has sort of changed things during the pandemic. But prior to that, I was the kind of person that would put out a video a year yeah. and put everything I had into that one single project and make that a massive viral thing as opposed to trickling out content every day. That's totally changed now with the pandemic. But you know, when you, when you are having a conversation with somebody saying like, hey, I, I don't necessarily have all the resources I need, but I would really love to work with you. How can we make that happen? And you just make it a dialogue. And I think that a lot of people are down to, to work on our projects and again, I say we, because it's, it's so many people that, that are responsible for making some really cool stuff with me. You know, if you just build a collaborative environment and a gracious environment, one of the things that I do as a director is after a shoot, I will go down the call sheet and I will send a personal text message to every single person mm. that worked on the shoot. You know, sometimes that takes a full day to do after a shoot when you're yeah. exhausted, but I think it's critically important for people to feel valued and to know that their work made the project a success. Yeah. And that gets you, you know, if you had a hundred people working for you on your set on that shoot, maybe you get 125 next time because you've created that really positive environment. Yeah. Awesome. And 
And so just sort of flash forward a bit. I mean, we're we're like sort of jumping the gun, but that's the way these things go sometimes. (laughs) So at what point did you go from like small projects to big projects? That's my first question. Meaning like you you did for a while, just trickle in like lots and lots of content. And then at some point it became, let me put all my efforts and resources into making something that can get like 9 million plus views or something crazy, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that everything's sort of incremental. And I think when you start looking at your career, your career paths, not as compartmentalized, but as all as one cohesive thing. Meaning I would be on a set as an actor 10 years ago and just be focused on acting. Now I'm on a set as an actor and I look at the script supervisor and I say, now that person is amazing at her job. Mm. And you sort of get a more broad bird's eye view of everybody's role and how to network. So I feel like my television acting career supports my content career, vice versa, et cetera, et cetera. So that said, I would say I started doing, you know, I started getting familiar with working with brands and like ad agencies and whatnot when I was in the early days of working with those YouTube channels that I would produce content for. But things really started to take a turn when I did my Back to the 90s music video. Blew up. <laughs> Blew. Put- I mean, you, 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 didn't you perform with the Backstreet Boys at some point? Yeah, we... Gosh, it was crazy. We worked for two years on this project. I'm a huge fan of the 90s and nostalgia. We put it out. It got 100 million views. We charted on Billboard. We, you know, made that connection with the Backstreet Boys. So that sort of put the public eye on me and some of my colleagues for, for a big sort of flashpoint, which was kind of fun. And that opened up some opportunities and some new representation. But I just think like making you're never done learning. So like every set I'm on, I learn something new and then the next thing gets better. And yeah, so I would say like that, that project in particular started launching things to the next level. Right. And then really, I would say some of my biggest opportunities so far have come from becoming a writer, you know, for so long, I think as actors were, you know, we're obviously you know, we're, we're the conduits for whatever the writer has put on the page. And I always sort of felt that I could be funny writing and I I had to find sort of the right writing partner over the years, but my buddy, Arnie, Arnie Pantoja is my writing partner. We've been writing partners now for, for a number of years. And what started as a couple of actors that just wanted to write a funny vehicle for ourselves turned into, you know, two writers that were like, Hey, we don't have to be in our stuff. Mm. Let's create a massive portfolio of you know, of comedy projects, single camera, animation, features. I think that has taught us just so much, just a whole new level of the understanding of the industry as a whole. And it also took the pressure off my acting career. You know, when we're pitching our show projects now to production companies or executives at studios and networks, going in and auditioning for a guest star Hmm. kind of takes the edge off, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to book this guest star on somebody's show, but I would like to run the show. And so that's really what we've been focused on. And so I look at the acting career now as icing on the cake for all the stuff that I'm doing. But, you know, really the goal is I want to sell a show. We've optioned a lot of projects. We've partnered with other showrunners. We've partnered with production companies. So I feel like we're about to take that next step. You know, we've probably had 30 pitch meetings over Zoom during the pandemic. Is it so all comedy that, stuff that you've written or? Yeah. So single camera comedies and animation. I do a lot of stuff with Nickelodeon yeah. as an actor. Yeah. So we, we've developed a lot of kids properties. So we'll see. But yeah. but I think that when you, again, it's all just diversification, right? Like I can be a writer, I can be a director, I can be an actor all at the same time. And they all support each other. Yeah. And they also take the pressure off. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm pitching one of our shows, you know, it'd be great if they put us in it, if we sell it, but it also it's fine if they don't, because we, you know, just want to make creative stuff. I think when you can put your actor ego aside and just yeah. say, hey, I want to make great stuff with great people in whatever format that takes, it sort of takes the pressure off. Yeah, that's awesome. There's so much to say there, but okay, great. So, so just sort of timeline wise, fast forward. So you did back to the nineties. I mean, just to, just to, For my own memory, I remember those first maybe 12 hours, eight hours, you were, you, it felt like you had more hustle in that one day than most (laughs) people I know. I just remember you would post things like, Hey, can you share it? Anyone know anyone at Buzzfeed? Anyone know anyone? And people were just commenting. And I sent to a friend of mine at Buzzfeed. That's right. And I remember you may have been responsible for our first Buzzfeed article. I will say I was 
small, like a small part of it was responsible because <laughs> I remember her, my friend responded with, oh, someone sent me this and I meant to watch it and I just put it on the side and like mm -hmm. life came up and this was all within a few hours. Yeah. But she was like, let me watch it now. And within like, I mean, I guess she was just used to like just getting it all out there, but she had something written and done in like a very short period of time. And I was like, did I have a small thing in that? But I was so inspired by A, your work, but just be your hustle and drive. Like I was like, I want to see what I can do to support this. And well, you had you. that sort of inspiring quality about you where you were like, I mean, this work, it's great. It's funny. It was, it was getting steam. So it wasn't like I was, you know, telling my friend about it and it was like nothing. It was already <laughs> like this machine happening. It was going to happen, right? Buzzfeed was going to pick it up. So that's how I feel. But I just felt like you were so inspiring in your hustle of just like, guys, what else can we do? Let's make it a team effort. And I was like, I'm part of this team. Like, I want to do something. I want to I want to be a part of that climb, that monster climb that that video is going. So well done on you, on your, on oh, your well, part. So, it was so, so great. You know, I think, yeah, it's like hustle is what it's all about with anything that we pursue in this industry. I think you have to just work harder than everyone around you. And that will make the people around you want to work just as hard as you, yeah. you know, like, but again, I'm all about team building. It's like, how can I right. rally a group of talented people around me and surround myself? One of my big things is I like to surround myself with people who are much better than me at everything because it, you know, it, it makes everything easy. Like one of the things I've learned is not micromanaging on a set in that this was something I had to learn because it was an instinct that I, that I always had was trying to control everything. But, you know, if I hire a great DP, let them do their thing. Yeah. You know, I try to be, I try to be somebody on set that is generally like, here's what I would like this to look like. Let's talk about it. If you yeah. agree, how can we execute that? Right. You know, also pitch me different ideas. If you think you, you can come up with something better, I'm all for it. Yeah. So I try to be very agreeable and collaborative yeah. on set in whatever role I'm in. Typically that comes out when I'm directing something. Yeah. Surround yourself with with great people yeah. and they're going to make you look great. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting balance, I feel like, as a leader, a director on set, because at some point you want to be able to have enough vision to be able to carry through something, right? You don't want to have a director who's like, I don't really know what I want here. You know, you want someone to have the vision and to guide you, but you also want them to like help you shine at what you do best. Like, I feel like as an actor, like our best favorite directors are the ones that are like, I just feel like my best acting self around them. Like they just trust me. They know what I'm doing. They bring that out of me more and more. So there's like a fine balance, I think. I completely agree. I mean, I think the the directing style I have tried to adapt as an actor is when I'm on set with actors, I try to not do a whole lot. You know, I think the experiences I've had as an actor, the best experiences are when the director lets me do my thing. You know, I, what is that old adage? 80, 90% of directing is casting. Yeah. I really believe that. So I think really good direction is a hands-off approach and letting mm -hmm. an actor really do their thing. You know, even I'm doing an, an animated series right now and I cannot say enough wonderful things about our director who really lets us play. Yeah. And lets us make choices and lets us improvise. And it makes the whole experience so fun and collaborative in a way that, you know, in other projects I've done, maybe it doesn't feel that way. If it's like, can you honor that comma? <laughs> and look, sometimes that's important, you know, right. as an actor. Right, sometimes right. that's important. But typically, <laughs> typically that get, comma is not as I think you're gonna get better stuff when you let an actor do their thing. I yeah. feel that way when I have when I've written the thing and I'm on set and I see the actor doing it. You know, my my writing partner and I last year were the showrunners of a, a CW comedy pilot. It was a sketch comedy pilot. And uh, we had these really gifted improvisers on set that we had cast. And certainly we'd written scripts for them to, you know, act. And we wrote the words thinking that those words were great, but you know, the final product was a messy version of that mm, and so yeah. much better for it because yeah. we just let them do their thing. So I think it's really important to, to give actors freedom. They were cast for a reason. So let them do their thing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of jump to, cause you kind of mentioned your animation. So let's jump to like when you started really sort of picking up steam in the VO animation mm. world. 
So voiceover for me has always been that consistent staple behind the scenes that has supported me financially and has been, I've always viewed it. I think there are people that are exclusively, hey, I am a voice actor. This is my world. I'm going to do conventions. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. That is a whole world that I have always sort of felt adjacent to, to be honest with you. I've always felt like voiceover has been something that has been a piece of my career, but not the be all end all. So I have been so grateful to have voiceover to quote unquote fall back on during the pandemic when so many other options aren't safe. The entire voiceover industry has shifted to at home. It's been so inspiring to see how projects come together. Like I said, I'm working on a, a, a new animated show that I can't really talk about the details of it, but I'm so grateful for a weekly gig during a pandemic. It's with some really exceptionally talented people and watching an entire show come together, recording as an ensemble over Zoom and Source Connect and all these different technological wonders. Everyone's in their bedroom closets. The animators are all at home. The writers are all at home. It's completely all from home. Uh, And you'd never know it when you look at the animatics or you look at the, the animation samples. So in answer to your question, like everything, like every path that we have in our entertainment careers, it's been incremental and it's been a marathon. Mm. You know, I would say early on, and I tell this, I get a lot of people asking me for voiceover advice because it is a bit of a niche part it of our, our business. It is. You're going to start commercially. That's how I started. You start building up momentum, earning the good graces of your representatives. And so I started like consistently making money in, in like radio commercials and TV spots and stuff early on. And then probably six years into that, I finally convinced the animation division at my voiceover agency to, you know, try me out. And it is a very small world of like working, consistently working animation actors because animation was always the focus. So it took, I would say, almost 10 years before I booked my first show. So I booked a Nickelodeon animated show called Bunsen is a Beast. Gosh, this point, five, six years ago, maybe, maybe not, nah, maybe more recent than that. But it was a great experience. It was really cool. I was already doing a lot of on-camera stuff with Nickelodeon. So mm. the, the synergy between doing stuff with animation with them was really great. I built up such a wonderful relationship with that network and Viacom over the years. Um, very grateful for all the collaboration I've been able to do with that company. You know, that sort of established things and took it to that next level started doing a lot of video games, started doing just a lot of animation now. I would say almost exclusively an animation actor now. Yeah. And I've been so grateful for for that again during the pandemic of just being able to to voice a lot of different television shows. Yeah. Well, what I noticed too is like for the same show, you would some, you know, you'd have like, and correct me if I'm wrong, on IMDb, it shows like you have a specific character, but then often you'd be called back for other random small characters. Yeah. So the way it works in animation is you are, if you're hired as a series regular, there's, you know, well, I'll use the show I'm currently doing as an example. We've got four series regs who play their series regular role. And then the, what an animation contract or network will do is, is they'll, they'll divvy out ancillary roles to you, to the, the lead actors on the show. And then in excess of that, they bring on, you know, recurring actors that will voice additional ancillary roles. So I think that's why animation is actually a tougher world to kind of like break yeah, into consistently. Yeah, because they're doubling up. It's like... It's, it's as if, you know... It reminds me of like a play. Like it's like a play where like you just have a couple different roles. You go backstage, you do like you throw on a dress and a hat and you're like, okay, I'm coming on for these few lines and you leave yeah. and you go back to your original role. I would say that the parallel I would make, it's as if you were doing you were a series regular on an on-camera show mm-hmm. and you also were doing the guest stars and the co-stars. And so it's fun because you get to literally Act change more. your voice. And that's, that's awesome that you You're get to literally. Yeah. So that's why you'll go on and you'll see on IMDb, you know, somebody who has voiced 75 roles in a show, you know, half the time it's like, okay, Ben, you, you play student and doctor and businessman in addition to your, your, your series reg role. And there are, you know, there again, there are guest roles. We have guest actors on yeah. on shows all the time, but it is a little less consistent mm-hmm. than on camera because so many of those smaller roles are 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 just given to the the show leads. Just out of curiosity, and we can take this out if you want, but 
I mean, obviously you've been so much Nickelodeon. The other big sort of conglomerate for this type of stuff is Disney. Have you ever thought of, I mean, do you pitch to them all the time? Have you wanted to sort of break into that as well? Is it? Yeah, well, I've actually been lucky as an actor to have played a bunch of roles on camera for for Nick and Disney and actually yeah. voiceover. And I guess that's a little bit of a rarity. In that, I think so. You know, network sort of, you know, you, you don't hop very often. But, yeah. you know, Disney, I was on Mighty Med. I just recurred on Coop and Cammy Ask the World. I've done Best Friends Whenever. I, I mean, I've done a lot of Disney stuff. Do you sing in any of them, by the way? Is it like any time? Like, because I know you sing. You've done like some. I don't know if I've ever really like. You've done musicals. So. Yeah, nothing that like legit singing. It's all been sort of like funny singing on on shows. But yeah, I guess it's been sort of an interesting career in that I I have done a lot of Nickelodeon and Disney stuff simultaneously, which I don't think is super common. And yeah, I mean, I think the kids being the adult in the kids network world has been an interesting niche to carve out. Yeah, Uh, it's certainly, you know, I was just talking to my manager about upgrading materials and we're just doing an exclusive reel of just kids multicam. It's a lot of stuff. And it's the most fun because it feels like yeah. a play. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's theater. It's theater on TV. Theater on TV. I love that. Okay. I guess like, I just want to maybe ask a couple quick questions, but I'm trying to think if there's anything else major that I, oh, I have to ask. I mean, there were a couple things I was like, okay, I'm going to just write down and have to ask. So you worked with Ariana Grande on Sam and Cat. How was it working with Ariana? And I feel like you've probably been asked this, but uh, I'll still throw brother. it in there. Frankie, Frankie Grande. I've actually yeah, worked so, with Frankie Grande too. Oh, Frankie's a good buddy of mine. Yeah. We, we're, oh, we're really? Both, we're the two main villains on Henry Danger and Danger Force. So right. Frankie and I actually have a couple of uh, TikToks we're doing together coming out oh, in the next good. couple of weeks. That, I was going to ask about that. Together. Sorry, Frankie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, his sister, Ariana, super great to work with. It was very interesting. I remember being on set with her. This was obviously before she was the biggest pop yeah, star yeah. in the world. And we were like, we had an entrance together. She's doing this behind the door. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, you know, she's got a really nice voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I didn't really know she was a singer. And now I know. <laughs> now you know. She, she is. She is, in no. fact. No, and she's also a great actress. Like, I'll throw that out there. Like, I think she seems like a great actress. I've seen her on SNL oh, yeah. and like a couple of things she did when she was younger. So. And, and I would say this. I've worked as an adult with so many kid actors mm. that have gone on to do various things. I've, I have a lot of experience working with kid actors. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure for, for a kid to be under in, yeah. in many ways. That's their first acting gig. You know, I'm experiencing that right now on Danger Force with Nickelodeon. Uh, I did, you know, four episodes early on and these kids have never done television before. So yeah. watching them kind of grow and turn into wow. little Nickelodeon stars is, is a fun process to be a part of. But yeah, working awesome. with, with Ari was great. Sweet. Okay. I asked that. We talked about directing, which I feel like anything you want to say about directing music videos and some of the shows you've been on commercials, like some of that, because that's a a different hat. We kind of talked about it, but I was just curious. Yeah. I mean, I think directing for me, I think for a long time, I was, I was hesitant to direct. I didn't want to think, I didn't want people to think like, oh gosh, you know, it's, it's too much. He's trying to bite off too much. But if you surround yourself with people that can tell you you're wrong, if you're acting in something that you're also directing, I think it can be a really interesting dynamic. Certainly done a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then just directing stuff that I'm not in has been really fun. You know, I stopped, I stopped auditioning for on-camera commercials because I decided I wanted to direct them instead. It's nice. such a better experience as the yeah. director. I can also be an advocate for actors in, in the commercial world where I think actors aren't treated with a ton of respect half the time. Yeah, so, true. and it also made me, you know, directing gave me such a great view of every position on a set and mm. an understanding in a way that I never had as an actor. And so it's made me a better actor. Yeah. And now I think I referenced this earlier, but now when I'm on a set, now that I, I am a director as well, I can really appreciate the hustle of all the different departments on a set. Again, in my mind's eye, I'm thinking of pre-pandemic and not this like of course. bastardized pod world that we're in right now. Yeah. But we'll get back to it. But yeah, yeah I, I yeah. think I think, you know, directing has been, I would say I'm equally as passionate about it as I am acting because it is mm. there's also something really nice about showing up on a set, getting to work with everybody behind Video Village and not giving a shit about what you look like. As an <laughs> as an actor, it's nice to to show up and just direct and and not have to worry about that. But yeah. No, I, I love it. It's it's also, you know, in the commercial world, directed a lot of commercials now. It's, you're sort of a therapist. 
the role of the director is, is making the production company and the ad agency and the client and your crew and the talent all have to get along and all be on the same page. And that is a very tricky dynamic. And so I kind of, I appreciate the puzzle and the challenge of that and the limitations of a budget. You know, I've done a pharmaceutical commercial with Cheryl Hines that gave us way too much money to, for a one day shoot. And then I've done, you know, a 10 episode Facebook watch series where we had a 10th of the amount of money we needed to make something happen. So I think working within the limitations of, of what you have available to you is kind of a fun challenge, albeit stressful. I'm sure. So, no, I think directing is, is a blast and I miss oh. it desperately. You know, I haven't felt safe doing that during the pandemic. Yeah. So we'll get back to it, but of course, of course, you know, you again, will. it's, it's about diversification, not being able to direct right now. I've been able to fill that time with voiceover and lit. Writing and pitching. And also, I mean, and this is sort of my last major question, but I want to talk about like something really awesome that came from the pandemic for you, which is TikTok. (laughs) I mean, the amount, I think you have about 3 million followers, let's say on TikTok. Three and a half million, which is huge. (laughs) I mean, listen, like a lot of big creators on that app have nowhere near a million and they're still considered really big. So 3 million is great. Yeah, Um, I think... um, you know, it's so interesting because we talked about earlier the the infrastructure I've been able to build up with 200 people on set and all this is gear and equipment and jibs. And now during a pandemic, I'm back to being a high school yes. kid with just a, one camera and lights and whatever I've got around me to, to make funny stuff. Right. So yeah, you know, TikTok's been interesting in that my philosophy for content creation throughout my life has always been, I'm going to spend a lot of time on a few projects that are going to blow people's mind complete flip of this is I'm just going to put funny stuff up every day. Right. I think Which I found works for you. Yeah. I joined it right when it was kind of getting popular. There's a very young audience on it that knows me from Nickelodeon and Disney and stuff like that. So I was able to kind of leverage the TV appearances I've had to build up that audience. And, you know, TikTok's cool because you can make of it what you want it to be. So I'm trying to brand a lot of voiceover stuff now. One thing but in particular yeah, I, that stood out, though, was the creation of the voiceover battle. Yeah, I think what's cool about TikTok and what I'm continuing to work on is building out a series of repeating content. So you sort of look at what you've got available to you. I know a lot of the best voiceover actors in the world. So why don't I challenge them to try my voices and, and they try mine? So that's been a it's fun a great format. idea the cartoon voice battles. I'm doing another format that's coming out soon, collaborating with people. So you know, it's been a good way to kind of create connection with people during yeah. a very isolating time to stay creative as best as possible during this time. And it's also a format that I think allows me to to play in all the things that I'm good at, you know, doing funny voices, editing, engaging with people in a comedic way. So that's been great. And then certainly finding the success of building an audience with it has led to a, a monetization avenue for me during a time where everybody's sort of looking for where that next check is coming from. So I've been very grateful to, you know, not only have a creative outlet, but also a monetary one with TikTok that, that really, you know, keeps me afloat during a pandemic creatively. Do you edit all those videos yourself? Yeah. It's exhausting. It takes a lot. Cause even with just like the little things that come out in the middle, like it looks like it's produced well. Well, thank you. And I, I actually don't think that TikTok would be nearly as successful for me without the pandemic because huh? I've had the time to invest in building that up. But I also think, you know, I haven't posted for a couple of weeks because I think it's important to also take social media breaks and just kind of I chill agree. for a bit and not feel beholden to any kind of release schedule. So w- the way I look at it, it it's there when I want to contribute to it. The audience is there. I go live a lot and I give acting advice to, to kiddos and I'll do voice impressions. So it's been a really cool community to build up and one that is going to continue helping, again, the other entertainment avenues that I've got. Yeah. Going. Okay. So now we're on our speed round, right? And this is really just a couple of questions because you've already answered a couple of questions I normally do on my speed round. So who are your mentors? Who are people that like really, even now, today, even yeah. people? Well, can, great. Great question. And, and it's, I have a sad answer for you. My, one of my best mentors in my life was my, my college professor, my acting professor, who just passed away this week. She, her name is Charlotte Cornwell. She was in the Royal Shakespeare Academy, this you know, wonderful British actress. And 
yeah, I mean, just just she was so powerful and fierce and independent and made it feel safe to take risks as an actor. Um, and she was one of the people that kind of opened my mind up to don't just look at, even though the industry is trying to tell you, hey, you're a short guy, so you're just going to play Christmas elves. Look outside of that. Go beyond that. So she was a huge mentor for me, and I'm still sort of dealing with the fact that she's not here anymore. And then I think you can just find inspiration from you know, the hustle of people around you, right? Like I get inspired by looking at my colleagues on TikTok, finding ways to pump out new content every day. Mm-hmm. I get inspired by, you know, really, really funny performances from from our fellow actors and in a variety of shows. You know, one of the people that I think is extraordinary is Bob Odenkirk. I love watching Better mm-hmm. Call Saul. I think he's, you know, an actor that can go between comedy and drama so seamlessly in a matter of seconds, I think is, is really compelling. I thought Robin Williams had that quality. Yeah. Brian Cranston's um, also really good at going back and forth. Oh, hundred percent. Like. So I certainly find, find value and, and I admire people that I see that have those qualities, but, but in, in regards to, you know, to a mentor, Charlotte was certainly one of them. My high school drama teacher, yeah. I think about a lot, who's also no longer with us, but you start to think about the people that made you feel free mm. to take risks and chances because they created a safe environment to be creative and authentically you. Uh, those are the people that stand out for me. Wow. Awesome. And then kind of answer the other. So what's your definition of success? Ooh, that's a good question. I think my definition of success is making good shit with people you love. Mm. You know, I, I think that's the thing I miss most during the pandemic right now is I miss being on a set with people I know and love and we're like under the gun with the schedule and we're under budgeted. We're just trying to make something work. That spirit of collaboration and continually just living in that spirit of collaboration. I think there's too many people in our industry that, or even young people that are too focused on the end goal and the end result and not just living in the messiness of like, let's just make cool shit. You know, who cares how many people look at it or watch it or you know, again, it goes back to make what you want, surround yourselves with the people that you want. You know, the end result is like, it's almost irrelevant. Well, that's the best way to end that. I mean, that's amazing. All right. Well, thanks so much, Ben. And this is fantastic. You're wonderful. You're someone who inspires me. And I just, I love seeing what you do, what you create, what you put out into the world. And I think you're going to be inspiring for a lot of the people listening to this. So well, thank you. I'm honored and kudos to you for, again, being proactive. I think that's the biggest piece of advice I have to anybody listening to your, your podcast is be proactive, make your own podcast, make your own content, make stuff, because that allows, that puts you in, in control of your own volition. Yeah, no, I feel that way a lot. Like one thing I, I tell people about this podcast, it's so nice to create something and just have that agency over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. So yeah. Well, I, now that I know it exists, I'll have to listen to it. Yes, you will. Fantastic. <laughs> Great way of promoting it is just uh, to the, to the person I'm connecting with my guest. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment, you know, would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, you can also find me at, at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast, and I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.